0: Janina. Hello Emma. Hi, how are you today? I'm all right, how are you? I've taken a long time. I've been on holiday for two weeks, so I feel Ugh, fucking great. That's excellent. It's so good, it's great not having to go to work.
1: Yeah, it's one of my favourite things,
0: I mean I never have to go to work, so. But that means that you it, never get to go home from work or be true. on holiday. It's
1: I don't remember when I last had a holiday.
0: Yeah, so that's like the downside of being a freelancer.
1: Yeah, but you know, yeah. I still like not having to go to work.
0: Yeah, it is pretty nice. It does. It is making me mildly nostalgic for my days of freelancing when I did all of my work in, like, pyjamas. But it's
1: very good. I live in yoga pants. It's my favourite thing.
0: Yeah, but uh, I still, I'm still getting paid and I'm not doing anything, so it's like swings That's, around about you. That really. part
1: is very good.
0: Yeah. yeah, and I got to go to Worldcon, which was amazing. Yeah. Um, and I would not have been able to afford to go to Worldcon if I was still freelancing. So. It's also true. Yeah, yeah, it was great though. It was yeah. all science fiction, all the nerds and me. It was great. <laughs> Finally, yeah. in my natural habitat, with your people, with my people. On the Saturday night, there was a big dance party. It was in a convention center, so the party was in a like conference room.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And it was the night of the masquerade, which was like a big dress-up competition. Mm-hmm. And so, everybody was about forty percent of the people there were in either cosplay or some kind of weird costume. And the rest of them were nerds like me, led by John Scalzi. I don't know if you've ever seen John Scalzi, but he is a small man who wears large T-shirts and is a white man who likes to dance like white men do. Mm-hmm. And he just played hits from like the 80s and 90s.
1: Excellent. The best eras of all music.
0: Yeah, and it was great. And if you have ever seen just a load of oddball drunk goths at like half 11 at night dancing to Tainted Love... It was. Mm-hmm. It was just the best.
1: Tainted from, Love is the song that I would do if on American Idol, one of the weeks was always like, <laughs> pick a song from the year you were born. And Tainted oh, Love nice. would be my choice.
0: Yeah, that's a good one. At Midnight, they did the time warp, obviously, and that was, it was also great. Excellent. Yeah, it was a good time. A++ plus, recommend if, you have, if you're into science fiction. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, and you also got to go and listen to loads of interesting people talking about... It's basically a big book convention, like a big book festival, Mm -hmm. but better than a book festival because no one is pretentious wanker. Right, yeah. Everyone is just a weird nerd, so it was great. (laughs) That's excellent.
1: I had a great time. <laughs> great. I've never been to a convention once and I only went because Jamie was working it, but I did have a lovely time.
0: <laughs> I've been to a couple of the other, only other like proper science fiction convention I've been to was Nine Wilds, and, which is in London, which I friend and I used to run. That's, um, where, that's the one I the went, one to. went
1: to. Yeah, Jamie was doing, he did like the, he ran the photo booth um, oh, nice. a few years back and it was a nice little one. It's yeah. lovely. Everyone is delightful.
0: Yeah, it was just. Um, and then if you're like not delightful, then they get really heavy-handed about it. Like they have yeah. quite strong codes of conduct, and everyone is like very keen on like using the right pronouns and just being very respectful. And there's a lot of of rules and etiquette around yeah. like using respectful language and things that you don't really get in either the everyday world or uh, like a other kind yeah. of meetup type things I think like certainly was- no book festival that i've ever been to got antsy about using gendered language or mm. like gave quite so many severe lectures at the beginning of everything about precisely what a question was and yeah. how much they were going to come down on people who did not ask questions
1: <laughs> that is excellent all q should start with that sort of thing we are not here for your lengthy statements
0: yeah. Um, one of the ones I went to was like, a question is three or four phrases. <laughs> it ends in a question mark and it cannot be answered with one word.
1: <laughs> That's beautiful.
0: It's like, I appreciate you. Um, but, but we're now, here to answer questions. Now that you're back questions. from on
1: what are we yeah. doing here today? Uh, we
0: are here to answer questions about history. Yes. That people send us. And they usually don't send us their statements. They send us their questions. And then yeah, we show I actually them don't how think to I've answer I've ever them. had a statement. I think we probably have. I just edit them. <laughs> oh, sure.
1: <laughs> but like, there's, but you there's a, question a statement in there. that is a question, you know? Yeah. It's not like I would like to ask a question as an excuse to show her off a thing I already know. <laughs> That's true, which I
0: appreciate. Mm. But yeah, this week's question for History of Sexy is, well, it's more kind of a statement. Tell me about gynecology and history. Why do forceps still look the same way they do thousands of years ago? Now we're going to get to this because forceps do not, forceps are we discovered a very very recent invention
1: but the invention of them is my favorite thing that has ever happened i was just saying to emma before we started recording (laughs) i was like the first thing that came up when i started researching it was a bunch of different academic essays just saying the history of forceps is rich and interesting and i was highly skeptical about that statement but it turns out no it's buck wild it's (laughs) I just tweeted about it as
0: well, because while I was doing it, I tweeted that I just really was not expecting
1: it to be as wild as it was. Like an intense prestige drama that's secretly a soap opera style show, like House of Cards or Succession or something like that, about this family so much. yeah. That's what I want. Netflix, get on it. Get on it, Netflix.
0: Yeah, but we're going to get to that because they are very recent and we're going to go back a bit earlier before that. Because I suspect, or I'm going to uh, assume that what Naomi, who is at Mang Mang Mang, meant really was speculums. Mm -hmm. Why do speculums still look the same as they did thousands of years ago? Which they do. They look very similar. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) But the history of their... Reintroduction into the world of gynecology is also quite new. Like they are a very, very ancient
1: thing, but they kind of disappeared for a while. As long as people have had uteruses and vaginas, things have been going wrong with them, usually causing death of both the mother and child. So trying to solve that issue is a pressing concern, especially if you want yeah. if your entire society is built around you know having heirs to whatever you control.
0: Yeah, and you know, even just you can't have fifty percent of the population dying constantly.
1: You can't. It it doesn't bad work. Bad for
0: things. Bad for all things.
1: If if you could, I'm sure they would have let it happen.
0: Or just lying in pain, like you can have rich women lying in pain all day. They don't really do anything, but everyone else needs to be getting on with shit. Yeah. And. So gynecology... Gynecology was kind of invented by the ravens as a thing.
1: (laughs) Just your tone on that. Which I'm very proud of. Yeah, I can Uh, tell.
0: (laughs) I mean, it wasn't really... Obviously, people were doing it for many, many years before that. Like, since the beginning of time, people were looking inside vaginas and being like, ooh, that looks painful. (laughs) But... The first person in the West who wrote about gynecology was a a Greek Roman called Serranus of Ephesus, who was from Ephesus and then went to Alexandria and then went to Rome and then wrote a book called The Gynecology. That was helpful of him. It was very helpful of him, which is, it's not complete, unfortunately. And it's really unfortunate because, like, the final sections have, we have like the headings because we've got the contents page, but we don't have. Those pages, and some of them mm. are like, "What to do if you have an engorged clitoris?" And like, "What do you do?" But we don't know; it's gone. Oh, that's a shame. It is a real shame. But we do have his things on, like how to deal with people who are suffering from hysterical uterine hysteria. So, like, oh, when so you're...
1: Wait, uterine hysteria is not only confined to the Victorians. Oh no, no, mm. no!
0: Loads of people. There were lots and lots. Of... Everyone was very into uterine hysteria and hysterical suffocation. Where there's lots and lots of different theories on them Mm -hmm. in the ancient world, um, and what causes
1: it. Like, are we talking about PMs? No, well,
0: so Seranus is actually quite detailed on the symptoms of it, Mm -hmm. and it is more like what he's describing looks like seizures. Oh wow! So people suffering from like um, muscle spasms and collapse and catalepsy and uh, cata and um, cataplexy and just kind of collapsing on the floor
1: is that and, so is that him assigning any woman who had those symptoms to be something to do with her reproductive system or is it stuff that did center around sexual health or do we not probably know? the former
0: it's kind right. of unclear because the symptoms are quite wide ranging as he <laughs> describes <laughs> and they, But there's, like, a lot of different things it could be describing.
1: Right. But so anyone not who, like how he interpreted endometriosis or polycystic ovaries sy- no, syndrome. No, it just, doesn't seem to involve any pain in the abdomen at all. <laughs> Right. It's just, she's a woman, she's got one, it must be causing the problems. Well, the
0: belief, so there are quite a lot of different beliefs. One of the most common Greek beliefs was that the uterus was would go wandering around the body. Mm-hmm.
1: I didn't know that that originated
0: there either. I thought that was a Victorian (laughs) thing. (laughs) Either because it was too dry and it was looking for moisture Uh or various other reasons. One of the things that uh, Serana says in his book that people do that they shouldn't do is they would try to entice the uterus back to its proper place either by putting horrible smells near the woman's mouth... (laughs) Say that the uterus would we- run away,
1: uh-huh. run back down, <laughs> like, uh-huh. or by putting
0: very nice smells, uh-huh. like like making her sit on a nice bowl of lavender water, uh-huh. <laughs> in order to entice the uterus towards the nice smell. <laughs> sure. And he's like, that is obviously stupid because the uterus isn't a it isn't a little a mammal running around inside the body it's like
1: a little. <laughs> A little it's yeah. Just like, yeah, it's not like a mole
0: in there running around having a look for stuff so he says you basically like you have to treat the symptoms in order to sort everything out <laughs> and his like ideas are much better but they're better than
1: oh it's a little thing that's alive by itself and it will walk towards a nice <laughs> yeah so just you put your mouth next to some dung or something and you leave yeah. next to some roses and it will just find um, its way back home yeah,
0: I mean, so in the book that I just wrote, I was have a, in fact I was talking to a friend of mine about it today. Um, there's a section in there about um Cato, who's kind of seen as like the great gruff, bluff Roman, no bullshit, Roman guy. He's the guy who is famous because he ended every speech with, and furthermore, Carthage must be destroyed. <laughs> But he wrote a whole thing about cabbages and how much he loved cabbages and he would treat the female members of his household's um, feminine complaints by eating a lot of cabbage and then weeing in a bowl and then making them sit on a chair with a hole cut in it over his
1: steaming cabbage piss (laughs) until they said they felt better. I would imagine most of them felt better pretty quickly. (laughs) Almost immediately. (laughs) Yeah, I feel fine now. The thrush is
0: gone.
1: I've never felt better. I've never felt less thrushy. I will never be ill again. He treated almost everything with cabbages, cabbage-related extracts or cabbage piss. But yeah. <laughs> I mean... But that was not widely magically believed. I don't... Like, I realise that medical knowledge and all knowledge has advanced a lot over yeah. the, the subsequent couple of thousand years. But I just like <laughs> like there there is a, a degree to which you you think something should be assumed you think so wouldn't you but then yeah. they believe very strongly in humors like yeah but i that don't, is the basis of everything i don't right. remember ever reading any claim that the humans could be controlled by urine <laughs> the vapors, <So> vapors. <laughs> The vapors the cabbage vapors i knew the the cabbage vapors for my agonies yeah <laughs> Yes, yes, you do. So that
0: is, (laughs) um, I have to say that Serranus is a a bit better. He thinks that you should just put honey on it. Sure, I mean that's
1: preferable. Definitely, one hundred percent, I'd do that. If you've got, if, if I was choosing between the two,
0: yeah, he thinks that you should put kind of honey on almost everything. To be honest, but. God bless him. Uh, <laughs> to be honest, I don't know that you should necessarily put honey on thrush, but
1: I—I uh, I mean, honey like... does have antibacterial qualities. It's probably there are it, worse things. Would it not f- feed the yeast? <laughs> I—I it, I mean, it's good. I don't. I you don't end up know. With sourdough in there. I mean, don't put anything strange. Don't out put there. anything. It's up a very now. delicate area, but honey does help wounds and things. You know. Yeah. It's just of I mean, all the things that you could, in ancient times, put all over your virgin, honey is probably one of the safer things.
0: That's true. He's mostly into putting oil on there, to be fair, and various other things, a whole lot of other sure. things. But, uh, but basically, the reason that Serranus is so important is that he gives very, very... Um, detailed and specific instructions on how to deal with kind of various complaints of the fanny Mm -hmm. and the surrounding areas but mostly on kind of menstruation and also on childbirth and labor very specific instructions on childbirth on how to deal with labors on how to deal with specific labors and they are beyond specific to be honest some of them are like really very very detailed on various things Mm -hmm. on like the exact position that the woman should be in how many people should be in the room how you should deal with all these different kinds of labour that can go wrong Mm -hmm. very sweetly he thinks that there should be three women in the room to help uh, the person giving birth so that the person in labour doesn't feel afraid
1: (laughs) (laughs) I mean, that's very sweet.
0: Yeah, so there's like some women there to hold their hands. And also that the male doctor has no real business getting all up in a fanny.
1: Do you know, I do agree with that. After having said I was fine with the male doctor uh, attempting to insert a coil, I now (laughs) agree with that statement. Only women should go in there. Yeah, so I was
0: reading a thing earlier today about... So we're going to get to him, but about the the guy who kind of reintroduced the modern speculum. He's made as the modern father of, uh, of medicine. And it was a defense of him. And we'll see why he's defending when we get there. But it was a very mm-hmm. bad defense. And part of his defense was that women who are having internal operations on their vaginal canal or people with vaginas don't need anesthesia or any kind of pain relief because actually it doesn't really, there's no real nerves in there. So it doesn't really hurt that much. And I was like, dude, I hope you're not. Fucking people with vaginas
1: (laughs) Because I can absolutely (laughs) assure you that it hurts when you poke about up there with knives and needles and shit. I hope someone eventually attempted to operate on his penis without anesthesia. Because And that was written in two thousand and fourteen, so I hope that he's still around.
0: He's like, Look, I don't know why you were complaining that he operated on these people with vaginas because up there barely hurts at all. I snap people up there all the time.
1: Fuck just <laughs> absolutely <sighs> fuck off! Just, oh my god that there was it, it, just for, for the record i just want to be very very clear about that <laughs> it hurts up there if you stab things at it just so you know just so everyone's yeah, that's aware why,
0: that's why even Serranus was extremely clear that women and midwives who did do kind of internal inspections of uh of labia or vaginas
1: should have their nails cut short. It is also very sensible. This guy's great. Yeah. I mean, the bar is on the floor, but I like him a lot. I mean,
0: all in all, like when you look at compared to a lot of 19th century guys, yeah. he's got some bizarre ideas about humours. But when it comes to the like day to day management <laughs> of how to to, how to make people in labour or people suffering from uterine complaints comfortable. Yeah, like, he's doing well. He's got a lot more going on. Like, um, so he has this whole thing as well about how women should be as upright Um, it should be seated in a birthing chair and if there's Mm -hmm. no birthing chair then it should be sitting on another lady
1: Uh, (laughs) (laughs) oh my god that's that's adorable just like another another woman with her legs spread beneath you so the baby can shoot out between both of you
0: basically (laughs) like and how you shouldn't recline because then you're in a bad position and
1: how how that is true right i mean i've never given birth but i understand that that is true
0: it is because I did some research on this, and actually, like the seated kind of birthing position mm. where you're leaning slightly back and you but you are primarily kind of straight down is actually one of the ones that's advised. It's like it, how we should all
1: be crouching to poop instead of sitting yeah. down because it doesn't pulls like stretch into alignment. Yeah, and he has all of
0: these instructions on how the um, midwife or doctor or whoever is helping with the birth should kind of lie on the floor and how they should position themselves to be comfortable while they are working with the mm-hmm. um, person who's giving birth. Whereas when you get to the 19th century, 18th and 19th century, where they start talking about having... I shouldn't say 18th and 19th century. It starts under like Louis XIV, so it starts earlier than that. Um But when they start talking about reclining positions and lying back, like the position that you know from all sitcoms ever, Mm -hmm. like lying flat on your back. With your legs
1: in the stirrups.
0: Yeah, like the only real argument that they have for that is it makes it easier for the doctor. Mm. They have no, like they say that it is more comfortable for the women, like, but primarily it is more convenient for the doctor. Yeah. Whereas Serranus is very much, that this is all about the person giving birth. And everybody around them should
1: be... I feel like unlike a lot of male doctors who say things about women's health, he seems to have actually talked to some women.
0: (laughs) I'm pretty sure that he talked to some women, yes. Mm. So, I mean, I wouldn't necessarily use much of his stuff. Like, he does also have a whole bunch of stuff like, how long should women be kept virgins? Um, Sure. What happens if a woman doesn't have sex for too long? (laughs) <laughs> and one of those things is the hysterical uterine sure. suffocation The other thing is that women who don't have sex too long might grow beards
1: Sure, of course,
0: it's only literal Yeah, so permanent virginity he thought to be quite bad But, you know, there's always a problem <laughs> you, know, but he, you know, with what he was working with as a general rule He was interested in the health of people with uteruses And he was interested in making them comfortable And of
1: raising good children and making those comfortable too. Um, this, this, I like him. I like this dude. I support his yeah. works. I would like him to have had more science, but I'm, I'm.
0: He did the best with what he had. He did, and that's why he was like the guy, the go-to guy for solidly almost a thousand, in fact, over a thousand years, like one thousand four hundred years. Yeah. Well, good. He was like the guy that that people went to when there was a problem with anyone's insides and he does have a tendency to describe challenging birth in exactly the same way that james Harriet describes carving a difficult cat <laughs> in the very in the in fact i remember because i read them when i was younger in like the first one of those all creatures great and smalls books it opens with i believe him carving a difficult cow and having his arm up inside a cow and trying to like
1: Mm-hmm, There's a lot mm-hmm. of like
0: pushing away at the shoulder of the calf, so that you can pull around the legs, so that they will come out with with rope and things. Um, and he does talk about like the ideal birthing chair will have a little knob on it, so that if you do have to use ropes to get the baby out, then you've got you've got a little you can wrap it around the knob for
1: leverage. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Sure. Yeah.
0: Great. But I'm reading. Between the lines, um, when you get to the difficult birth section, you realise that quite a lot of what he's talking about with removing the baby is removing a baby that has not survived. Right. In order to save the life of the person giving birth because he then starts talking about how to dismember it inside the womb. Oh. When you can't, when you really can't let it out. We're getting um, this of content. No, at the beginning of this episode. <laughs> <laughs> yes, because for the, the very, very high rates of maternal and infant mortality yeah. during childbirth. And basically when something went wrong, they had little that they could do about it beyond yeah. kind of prod about in there, really. Yeah.
1: I mean, there were very few ways to even tell what specifically was happening. Like, Yes.
0: He does have some things that you definitely shouldn't do mm-hmm. if you've got a difficult birth. And one of them is lift the patient up and shake her up and down very vigorously.
1: Yeah, I don't think that would be useful. Another one is pushing
0: her off a ladder. Uh, Don't do that. Also, yeah, (laughs) useful advice. Um, And another one is getting the woman to lie on the bed and kind of put their legs up and then having two people pick up the foot of the bed and then bang it down on the floor. (laughs) (laughs) Just to
1: kind of... cheek the yeah, baby out sure he says those won't work oh my god I'm so glad we have scans and things I yeah when I'm you so look at have hospitals
0: yeah when you start reading these texts and you're like oh okay 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 but that's only if everything goes like completely perfectly to plan yes and obviously a lot doesn't like I think you know what everyone has knows a friend who has a story about a childbirth that did not go to plan Who was like oh yeah and are like 87 pints of water Pints of blood came out And they were all slipping around in the blood Which is a genuine story That someone once told me oh, And like Even if you know five people Who've got a great story Everyone knows like one person Who hasn't an, And then I nearly died story Yeah But they don't tend to die Very much anymore There are obviously exceptions but Yes in fact when I was in school My year had a particularly low rate Of teenage pregnancy um, Because a girl in the year above me Died of septicemia Oh holy shit Yeah. So, you know, it does still happen, but it's very rare these days because we have medicine Mm -hmm. and antibiotics and things like that. And we don't rely on jiggling a woman around and having to have Saranus tell us not do that. Which is good. Yeah. So he was like the go-to guy for a lot of the... And almost all kind of medieval and... Up to like the early modern period, almost all texts that were written on gynecology were kind of copies of Serranus or a guy who came slightly after him called Galen, who just wrote effectively the same thing. Mm-hmm. And it just got passed around and written in slightly different ways and round and round and round. But they all effectively say the same thing until people started to stop believing in humours.
1: Which took a, took a while.
0: Took a very long time. Um, <laughs> be- but... Even then, things when it comes to when it comes to people writing down, looking inside women, or looking inside vaginas and childbirth and the problems of menstruation and things like that, did not did not change a huge amount. Mm-hmm. There is a big load of uh, kind of the big medieval text is a trio of texts called the Trotula, which is a three part book which is kind of three books packaged together called women's cosmetics the conditions of women and the treatments of women which from like the 12th to the 15th century were like the texts Mm -hmm. and were translated from arabic into all the various european languages but they are a a lot of greek thought came through came back into europe via arabic and they are very classical Mm -hmm. in terms of what is actually in them there's a whole argument about whether they were written by or for women or by or for men, or whether they were, because obviously there's this whole very tedious argument about gynecology and childbirth, and all of that was, was women's secrets that men didn't know anything about. Yeah. And it was all done by women by themselves, and men didn't, never saw a woman give birth until 1920. <laughs> And or like until the nineteenth century when they <laughs> suddenly stole it. Yeah, and like there's this whole argument about which is just really oversimplifying the whole situation. Uh, really, yeah. But there's an argument that kind of comes out in this stuff, particularly when you read it and you're like, under no circumstances. <laughs> like when you look at the pictures, I put in a nice picture of. Um, this is <laughs> from a thirteenth century, I think, um, edition of. Saranus, this thing of all the people inside the womb, and the womb looks like it's got ears.
1: It, it doesn't look like it's got ears. It also looks like it's a balloon. It looks, yeah, it does. Not inaccurate. Like there are I think similarities. These are just-
0: Yeah, I think these are supposed to be the fallopian tubes, but they just didn't really know where they went. Like, they could see that there was something there. They just didn't really know what was happening. This is a a drawing of all the ways in which a a fetus could be
1: wrong in the womb. Right. I like the one that kind of looks like a roast chicken that has gone askew. (laughs) Yes, it is a good one. His legs have gone everywhere. Yeah. It
0: looks like the world's worst acrobats inside a balloon. They are very bad acrobats. (laughs) (laughs) And a guy trying to have a nap at the bottom. Uh, But all of the drawings are like that. And they're like little, just little men inside a balloon with ears, Mm. which makes people be like, oh, no man had ever seen a uterus. No man knew what was going on. Blah, 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 blah. Women were secretly the holders
1: of everything. Which like when you look at how long it took us to draw faces with eyes that face the right way, you know, it's. Yeah. It um, took time as well as science, guys. <laughs> um, it's just a massive simplification. I read
0: quite an interesting article, um, which was a big, basically a big problematization of that entire issue, it was by Monica mm-hmm. Green. It was called "Women's Medical Practice and Healthcare in Medieval Europe," and it was just a big discussion of. Basically, all of the different kinds of evidence of different ways in which both men and women practice different kinds of medicine in the mm-hmm. medieval world. Loads of them practiced in loads of different kinds of medicine. Yeah. You're like, all right, complicated then. Imagine that. Several <laughs> hundred years and several million people. <laughs>
1: it's a bit more complicated than that, if our watch would.
0: Yeah. But one of the interesting things, to take us kind of back to the question, is that the speculum is something that Serranus talks about. And we have Roman speculum specula mm-hmm. from Pompeii and from various other places because they were made of bronze, so they survived alright. It probably mm. meant they were only ever washed in oil, so they were a fucking they were just basically a cooking utensil that got stuck inside people. <laughs> but they look almost identical to the speculum that someone is likely to get out at any person's next smear test. So, yeah. yeah. They have like the two little ends, and they open and close, and then they open with like a kind of screwing mechanism, and it is all it's really quite like, oh wow, okay, everyone came up with the same solution to that problem,
1: <laughs> yeah, which I guess like makes sense. It's only one shape up there, and you've gotta do one thing with it there you've gotta do something with a hinge that means you can operate it from yeah far like a separate handle there aren't it. There- I don't know what I would invent that is different from a speculum. I found a couple
0: of different ones. So there is an Iranian one, which was, it's kind of hard to explain. It was made of wood, thus making it, I suppose, at least warmer. (laughs) (laughs) But it is basically like two long sticks Mm -hmm. um, held together with kind of screws like that would unscrew and screw so it could tighten you could put get them closer together or you could move them further apart Mm -hmm. and then coming off of those two long sticks were kind of two wooden protuberances yeah so you would kind of lay the sticks kind of along the vulva Mm -hmm. with the protuberances going into the vagina and then and then open it up like that basically,
1: which is kind of better in a way yeah <laughs> um I, at I least feel like while you were describing that i was like maybe we should for the benefit of men who do not pay attention to women's sexual health clarify what a speculum is <laughs> uh, yeah maybe i guess
0: i feel like at least everyone will have seen that episode of friends you know where he does the little duck face but no, we'll that doesn't really give
1: you a detailed <laughs> description of why it's there i, suppose. I mean it says, she says that opens my cervix yeah, which it doesn't. Yeah, it go, it it holds a vagina open so a doctor can have a look in. <laughs> yeah, basically, it's
0: basically. like you get plastic ones now rather yeah. than metal ones. But basically, it's not like, always. There's
1: some. I think I've always had metal. Oh really? Mm. Well, it's you always. I'd never pay I much attention to what they're doing down there, but it does always feel cold. <laughs> yeah
0: basically it's like it looks like a little duck face Mm. and then it goes slips up inside and And then they they open it crank it open so the little duck beak comes apart and there's two or three little bits and they crank it open and that means that they can see inside and see the cervix and then jab at it usually
1: and just in case you don't know anything about women's health all women have that shoved up them Every three year, In the UK, it's every three years. I think in New Zealand, it's every one year. Some places, it's every five to check yeah. for... That's how... Like, so they can get swabbed to check for cervical cancer. It is, a, it is a regular occurrence for all women. I mean, not necessarily. People miss it all the time. Don't miss your smear tests. It's, it's, go and yeah. get smeared, ladies. I just got mine. Got my results back a week ago. It's very nice to know I don't have cancer, so... Yeah. That reminds me actually, so
0: you remember I sent you a picture of a speculum with a smoke extractor, and I was like, I just genuinely (laughs) am vaguely horrified by the fact that there is a, like, I don't know what this is for, and then obviously I went to try and find out what it was for, so it was a plastic speculum with a built-in smoke extractor, like a fucking extractor fan,
1: Mm -hmm.
0: and it turns out that if you're a person with a cervix, and then they find precancerous cells, Mm -hmm. the next stage... Is that they burn those cells off with a loop of wire that they heat up.
1: Oh, my God. I don't know why this hasn't occurred to me. My mom's had that done for <laughs> pre-melanomas on her face.
0: Yeah. And so the smoke extractor is that obviously burning it off with a piece of hot wire. Yeah. Causes your, it to smoke. Yeah. And so the smoke extractor is so they can still see that they're burning the right bits of cervix. <laughs> cool.
1: Cool. Because Nuterine
0: health is so fun. (laughs) Um, Anyway, so those are like the main things. But then it kind of vanished during the Middle Ages, kind of didn't really get used very much until it was rediscovered in Mm the 19th century by the worst person, J. Marion Sims, Uh a.k.a. a massive fucking bastard. Cool. Who was a slave owner... Mm-hmm. Um, and doctor in the american south in the 19th century oh this is when you know what's coming yes and he was a doctor a me, kind of mediocre doctor and he had one of the women that he owned had a, a vaginal fistula as a result of prolonged childbirth so basically the child stayed too long in the vaginal canal uh, during the second stage and it ripped a bit of her vagina mm. and they one of the hardest things to deal with because of where they are, because constantly moving, because you can't really do much in there. And he kind of was like, eh, didn't really care that much until a nearby white woman fell off a horse and did something to her uterus. And he managed to find a way of getting her to basically get on all fours so that he could kind of poke her uterus a bit Mm. to make her feel better. And this led him to invent what is now called the Sims position, which is if you've ever had any kind of colonoscopy or any kind of rectal examination. It's probably the position that you were put in where you're kind of lying on your side with one leg up. And he was so delighted by this. And he was like, I have realized a way that I can get a really good look at the enslaved woman that I own's vagina. Mm -hmm. So he made her get into this position and then he got a spoon. Great. And bent it and reinvented the speculum by forcing that spoon into this woman whose name was Anaka. He then bought some other women who were suffering from similar things. He hunted them down and purchased them and went on to conduct hundreds of forced operations on these women, experimenting with different types of speculum and also different types of procedure. Mm -hmm. This is what he did without anesthesia, but it's fine because apparently women don't feel anything up there. Yeah. He believed that only white women suffered pain. Sure. So he... Um, eventually managed to find like the right kind of suture to be effective and he was able to finally seal anaka's fistula which she had been suffering from for many years after her 30th forced operation jesus he then became immensely famous and wow. yeah great cool <laughs> yeah and it hid the fact because obviously this is we're moving very much towards the end of when slavery was considered to be okay. Mm-hmm. And in the North of America, it was very much considered to be not okay. So when he moved to New York, he pretended that he hadn't used enslaved women. Mm-hmm. He pretended that they weren't black at all for when he drew pictures of them. And he went on to have a hugely famous and illustrious career and was a massive dickhead about it Yeah, by, Inventing all of these other things. But everything that he invented was on the back of basically human experimentation on black women. Yeah. Which is without like their consent.
1: Not the only time that that has happened. Like, and it's not only under slavery that that has happened. Read on the history of developing birth no. control if you want to be horrified. Or Henrietta again. Lacks
0: is another Henrietta one.
1: Henrietta that... Lacks, absolutely. Like, the waste white people have a long history of exploiting people of color for medical reasons it's revolting obviously yeah
0: and the way that he describes it in his, like the texts that he wrote when he talks about the first time that he inserted his kind of half-made speculum into anaka was to say that he felt like an explorer who first views a new and important territory
1: which yes, is because vaginas are territory yeah and
0: it, it is not not only incredibly dehumanizing but it's dehumanizing in a specifically colonial way like mm-hmm. it's very much using the same language as people use to describe like when yep. they come across like Uluru for example and go uh-huh. oh wow
1: I've discovered Uluru and you're like well apart from all these guys who I are mean, they here they don't say that obviously they just say I've discovered a thing I'm going to call it Rock."
0: yeah you're like well you're not the I don't know why you're saying you're the first person to have seen it, because we're all (laughs) (laughs) here. But in a very specifically colonial language. Yeah. And he continued like that. He was eventually forced out of his medical practice in New York because everybody fucking hated him. Good. But only because he started being a dick to white people.
1: This is the thing. Like, I mean, it's not the thing. But, like, considering yourself better than any other people, it's a slippery slope and eventually everyone will hate you. Yeah. I mean, I wish the evidence... Counted there obviously there are loads of rampant racists who are still applauded but you know what i mean yeah
0: so that that's where the how the speculum came back into fashion although it was considered to be quite controversial at the time partly because people thought that it was immoral to be looking at vaginas by that point yeah and that actually, they ideally would only diagnose uterine complaints by touching the
1: stomach. Sure,
0: great. Any- cool. Anything to do with gynaecology ideally didn't go anywhere near the actual vagina or vulva or cervix.
1: Which you can understand, I think, um, unfortunately it won't be live anymore, but a friend of the podcast Amy Jones once wrote a great piece on why people once thought showing your vagina was an effective way to scare away the devil, because that's just <laughs> how oh, <yeah>. unlook-uponable <laughs> your was. average vag is.
0: Yeah, and this is extremely, like, 19th century. Mm-hmm. And it did lead to some really great pictures. So there's a couple of pictures, which are from a French book called Nouvelle Démonstration d'Accouchement. Mm-hmm. And great title. One is from 1822, and one is of um, a guy giving a vaginal examination while maintaining strong eye contact. <laughs> 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 in order to demonstrate that he is absolutely not looking at the vagina, <laughs> and so it's this woman lying on a bed covered in a sheet, and then this guy kind of with his arm up there, but maintaining strong eye contact, yeah. which feels
1: just extremely. It's very good. We will put that on our coffee page. Obviously. And the other
0: one is this one of the guy doing a vaginal exam while not looking at all so he's on his knees and a woman is like leaning against a wall and he's rummaging around up her skirt and she looks really cross
1: she looks absolutely done with all of it (laughs)
0: like it looks like he can't find his watch up there and he's been looking for ages (laughs) and she just wants to be he's just like oh come on yeah, it's very funny It's very, very good But under no circumstances does it look like anyone I mean, she's got her legs together No one's going to be, like, specifically doing anything there And they also thought that opening a woman up Particularly a white upper-class lady Might cause some kind of sex craze hysteria mm,
1: Sure, obviously it's going just to love... The, the, the usual is just going to run away
0: Yeah, that. or that just like, I don't know Related to ideas of, like, you know Baggy fannies and things like that. Mm. Um, that they would become wildly sex crazed and fall over. Yeah, because their their vagina had been kind of stretched. Yeah, eventually, but they decided that actually it was good to look at cervixes for better or for worse. And then there's all the kind of modern controversy around it. Like there was a big 1970s book called Gyne Slash Ecology, which is a 1970s book which calls all gynecological investigation torture
1: Uh Um,
0: and saw the speculum as an instrument of torture specifically. And then there was a contemporaneous movement for women to purchase their own specula and investigate their own services Mm -hmm. and take back power by viewing it themselves, and the woman who who came up with that movement was prosecuted for practising medicine without a licence. Ha! Yeah. Sure. And now there's kind of various movements to invent a better speculum that is more comfortable for women. Yeah. Because the speculum as it is basically does the job in that it opens it up and you can see... So yeah. the person who is looking inside the vagina can see what they need to see. But for the person with a vagina who's having it put in, it's less, it's not particularly pleasant, to be fair. Even at its best, it feel, feels gross.
1: Yeah, I mean, I don't know if if, if that particular procedure or anything related to it is ever going to feel, you know, delightful. But it also is one of those things that, like, is very, very open to being badly used by someone who is not great at doesn't, yeah, doesn't have the light touch that, that you want. And it, it, like one of the articles that
0: I read, I think it was one in the Atlantic, had a gynecologist saying, like the thing that most gynecologists forget is that we do this fifty times a day, but the people that we're doing it to don't. So the people who come in to have their cervix looked at don't do that as often as we do it. Yes. and you and forget
1: they that, may have had really traumatic experiences in the past. Yeah. Where it and, was like, horrible. one bad
0: one is enough to put people off it for life. Yes. So, yeah, and I think that, like, obviously he was a very mindful gynecologist, but there's, like, plenty who are not. Yes, there is one called the Spec, which is the one that I was showing you, which is like a little one that has airbags in it. And so it goes in and it's small and then it's see-through and it inflates gently. Mm-hmm. And there's various other ones of kind of a similar ilk. But problem is that in order to get people to use different things, you have to persuade them to buy different things. Um, yes. And capitalism rules and everyone's already got a load of speculum. So, yeah. Basically, and they do
1: the job. They do the job as well. like
0: Yeah. yeah. It is very much function over anything else and it's very much much in the same way that me the move towards labor flat on your back was for the convenience of the person kind of supervising the labor rather than the person in labor
1: yeah
0: and much more about it be so they could stand up and see everything rather than then having to be on the floor which interestingly was almost was invented kind of by the french and then the flat on your back thing is an American thing. It was invented by the Americans in the 19th century. Mm. But and most women, according to a book from the kind of mid-19th century, women in the United States lie flat on their back to give birth. Women in France lie kind of reclining, so kind of flatten up a bit. And English women lie on their left side. Mm. So that was the kind of position that was recommended for english women to lie on their side yeah and give birth but yes but it was very much for the for the person doing it rather than the person experiencing it yeah and it's all kind of related to the medicalization of health and the professionalization of the medical world mm. which kind of brings us to
1: the forceps the forceps so the forceps oh my god This. <laughs> like, <laughs> just, this just going to be our grand finale We <laughs> <laughs> just never have started reading something Expecting it to be boring Only to be so <laughs> severely wrong Yeah The forceps The forceps date back to the 16th century Yeah To so a surgical dynasty <laughs> And what were they called, Gina? They were called the Chamberlains, the Chamberlain family, who had to flee France. They fl- they were fleeing Catherine de' Medici, which is how a few people have put this. I don't know if they were literally fleeing her or if they were just fleeing persecution because they were Huguenots a French... Uh, I believe
0: that she outlawed Protestant doctors and they were a doctor family.
1: Yeah, obviously. So they dynasty. didn't practice
0: in France anymore. So they fled. Well, they moved to England.
1: Yeah, they left for England. So this is the guy at the fleeing France point of the family. It was a guy called William Chamberlain and he had two sons. <laughs> Both <What>? called Peter. <laughs> big peter and little peter i think they were both called pierre in france and then became peter (laughs) known as peter the only explanation that i not i have not found an explanation but the only the assumption that i have made based on the only information i can find is that they were two sons from different marriages so william chamberlain was first married to genevieve Vignon, and later on to sarah delon had a son with each of them both called peter
0: I mean, I'd still feel like the is like, it, the argument there that both of his wives insisted that their first son be yes! called
1: Peter.
0: And <laughs> and he's like, I've already got a Peter. Um. No.
1: Yeah, but you know, that's I guess they just decided to do that. Both of the sons became surgeons, following their father who was a surgeon, and somehow became that Peter the Elder became surgeon to Queen Anne, and um, mm-hmm. not Queen not Queen Anne, Queen Anne, Queen, Queen Anne, <laughs> the wife of James I. Yep. Um, who did need a, someone dealing with her uterus. She had a lot of babies. He also was on hand
0: for Henrietta Maria, Charles the I's wife, when she had her miscarriage as well. Yeah,
1: so d- did a lot there. Despite the fact that both of them were bad boys when they were at the, the official <laughs> College of Physicians. They were, they were constantly in trouble for not going to lectures. One of them dressed very badly, and another prescribed medicines that weren't approved by the college. They were bad. Bad bad boys, but they ended up working for the queen. I'm delighted
0: by the fact that Peter the Younger was kicked out for his outlandish dress sense, which <laughs> made people hate him. Because like, what? No, there's no further detail that I could find on what he was wearing. Like, was it particularly large trousers? What was it? Yeah,
1: what was it? All we know is it was outlandish. We have only our imagination <laughs> to imagine how. So this is already bonkers enough. Yep. But then they invent the forceps, probably. Peter the Elder but we don't really know and it might have been their nephew also called Peter yep. because having invented the forceps they kept them secret for fucking ever until they were all dead. It was a massive
0: secret too. Like so, they made a big deal out of like if they were called in which obviously they were regularly then they would make this big deal about arriving in a special carriage and then mm-hmm. they would have this giant box that they would carry between them so a chest basically that was covered in gold that no one could look inside the and women they, would, they treated had to be blindfolded yeah they would blindfold the women who were giving birth that they were doing this to so she couldn't even see what was happening and they led everyone to believe that it was some big special machine and wouldn't let anyone else be in the room and I don't, and
1: I, I don't know, like what, like what this is about. Like this is, is this them Money. protecting their invention, or is it about attitudes towards shoving, a, like a basically a platypus bill up? someone's veg to retrieve a baby i don't I think know. i'm
0: pretty sure it's 100 about money like this is what they like people are paying them to go and be doctors yeah. so uh, this also, is like uh, what they have over everybody else is that this is their special trade secret and if you get them then they will have a better outcome with their special magic box but
1: also it's i feel like it's difficult PR at this point in history to show someone some forceps and say <laughs> i want to shove these up the queen and pull out That's her something.
0: baby. I mean, it doesn't sound great. Whereas this is my mystical box. No, you can't see what's in it, but it will work out. It sells a bit better. It does sound better. I mean, they were great at PR. If you strongly prioritize PR and making money over the fact that forceps genuinely are immensely helpful (laughs) and all of the lives they could have saved if they hadn't been like this.
1: Yeah, I mean, I firmly believe that all big medical discoveries should be public domain. Obviously. obviously, Um, They did
0: not. Peter and Peter did not agree with you. And also Peter.
1: (laughs) Peter, Peter and Peter were keeping their forceps to themselves. Then there was a Hugh, though. Yes, there was a Hugh. A hundred years later, there was a Hugh.
0: Yeah, who decided that he was going to try and make some money because he was struggling by running away to France and trying to sell the secret of forceps to the French government. (laughs) And a guy there called Francois Morisseau, who was a really big deal in the world of obstetrics, said, all right, like, I don't know what you've got in your special box, but I will buy We, The French government will buy your secret if you can deal with this problem that we've got, which is one of the
1: court dwarves. Because courts did like to be horrible.
0: Yeah, had been in labor for eight days because her pelvis was was malformed and was not working and so he was like if you can help this woman with her like a week long labour then you can then we'll buy your secret and he failed it doesn't actually say what happened but I'm going to assume that the poor woman died I'm going
1: to assume that she died because if he if she no one had been able to help her for eight days and this guy with the only forceps in town couldn't help her yeah, the, yeah, that's probably
0: too late for everybody. So he failed. So the French didn't get his secret. So he went back to London, became Charles II's doctor, and then a little while later ran off to Holland and sold the sold the details to some Dutch doctors.
1: Yeah, by and which time <laughs> my favourite wee addendum before we go off there is that the original the original forceps were discovered under the floorboards of an attic in their Essex house in 1813 because they'd been hidden there by the wife of the younger peter yep. i mean, not the youngest peter the younger <laughs> brother peter the youngest peter was nephew <laughs> peter because so many fucking things. hell um because so that's how determined they were to keep it a secret she yeah, yeah. Straight them up them. so no one could find out what they'd been doing
0: yeah unfortunately for the chamberlain family they were independently invented again
1: by a man <laughs> with the highly unlikely name of william smelly yes. <laughs> And we shouldn't laugh People can't help their names no. I mean it they can do. You can change them by teeth It's expensive And a pain in the ass, But you can do it He decided
0: to own it And he published his book Called The Treatise On Theory and Practice Of Midwifery In which he drew Lots of pictures of forceps And how they worked And how they were good At pulling babies out mm. And was as always Met with massive opposition <laughs> <laughs> See? See it's difficult To PR this <laughs> It is um, A mystery based- box Is much easier to sell they really took off on the continent, especially in Holland and Germany, and places like that. They were they really took off and like they started seeing a lot more lives saved, but they were seen as kind of barbaric and terrible in England until George the Fourth's daughter died after a really horrible childbirth. Yeah, and the royal doctor at that time made a really big
1: show of having a, a rusty pair of forceps. You've got to like the balls on that forceps exist and this is how determined i am not to use them yeah it was called
0: conservative management
1: Um, Sure. (laughs) which is still a term that's used actually
0: just means not doing anything and looking at it cool Uh, (laughs) that's what we're doing right now with the climate yeah, conservatively managing it. Mm-hmm. So he had made a really a massive show and had made like quite a big part of his reputation being that he didn't use forceps and things like that. He just he had a pair of rusty ones and they were rusty because he never used them. And it was widely believed, like she was very loved, and it was widely believed that if for, he had used forceps, then she would have survived
1: and the baby would have mm. survived. So And not he, only was she widely loved, that ended up being a little bit of a crisis because it left yeah. the country without an heir to the throne. Which if it I remember did. from all Rick's factors caused a bit of problems.
0: <laughs> it did. It did. It caused some issues, but um it was okay. In the end. Yeah. We got William the <laughs> Fourth. We did get William
1: the Fourth. And then I we got William the fourth. Yeah. And then we got Victoria and she was Victoria.
0: I mean she did her thing. But she we did got, do most her importantly, thing. we got William the Fourth. Yeah. He's uh, very or Pineapple Head himself. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean the everybody kind of died in this situation though, because the Obstetrician was so upset About what had happened That he killed himself And then Oh but after that Forceps in the UK Kind of became a thing And there is now Loads of different types Of forceps That you can get For loads of different Types of situations Like long forceps And short forceps And Simpson forceps And Elliot forceps And Wrigley forceps And Piper forceps All kinds of things Yeah And when I tweeted About this earlier A couple of people Were like I'm so delighted That I was removed From the womb With something so fun (laughs) So it's still widely in use today to pull a baby out yeah. because...
1: Not the only thing in use. I think sometimes they they use a suction thing yes. still. It's, I think the main technological battle around forceps and similar implements today is how can we do the less squashing of a child's head? Because obviously at yes. this point a baby's skull is soft, so it tends they tend to leave the heads a, a little bit. bit squished. For a time, they pop out. Great. Because nature is amazing, but you do end up with a flat-headed child for the first couple of weeks. You do. My
0: little nephew had a flat head. Mm. It was extremely funny, <laughs> but then it popped back out again, so it was yeah, all right. It's fine. And he looked. He just looked like Arnold from. <laughs> 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 um, he's eleven now. It's great. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah. So the history of gynecology is mostly just like, oh, try not to die, but we'll try and make it as comfortable as possible in the hope that you won't until yeah. around about the like 18th, 19th century when they were like, we've got this thing, we can poke up it. And I really think we should make it easier for the doctors. Mm, yeah. And there's kind of a big shift in who is the most important person in this situation. <laughs> and we're kind of, I think, in the middle, really, of a, of a shift round to institutionalized shift round, like when you think of the language and the ideal focus of most medical situations that people with uteruses end up in these days, like the idea is it's supposed to be focused on them, but within a very institutional context that makes it easy for for the doctors as well yes
1: I mean I do think it is key that we are now at a situation where a lot of doctors also have uteruses which does make yes. a difference into uh, as to how they are treated because apparently not just not all doctors are as considerate as my boy Serranus
0: <laughs> having said that the worst smear test I ever, no it wasn't even a smear test but the worst time I ever had a speculum inside me it was Female nurse. And to make it even worse, she was married to a mature student on my course and had a picture of him in her office. <laughs> so, yeah. So I was like, that's actually extremely painful. And also, Tony's looking at me.
1: <laughs> oh, no. I wish I was dead. Yeah. We're well, obviously never going to say that female doctors can also not be rough as shit.
0: Um, yeah. Because it
1: turns out that's feminism.
0: Women yeah, can be shit is. too. Well, I think that's very key to our feminism. <laughs> Women also rubbish. Yeah. People generally rubbish.
1: But but when you look at the history of medicine and how it has favoured comfort of men, it's nice to know that we do have some members of the industry in our corner in general. We've got serranus mm. What a man. <laughs> what a man. He did his best, bless him. He did do his best and I'm grateful. Yeah. It didn't affect me personally in any way, but... I'm grateful still that he existed.
0: But I'm glad. I feel like, you know, he was there being like, don't shake that woman. Have some people around to make her feel comfortable. Let's try and make this as easy and effective as possible. Let's try and make this as unanxious as we can. All right. He did say that if you breathe in properly during labor, you'll get cancer. But (laughs) his aim was to persuade people to focus their breathing on pushing. So it probably worked out in the end. Yeah. Good lad. (laughs) Yeah. So that's the history of gynecology in the West. Yeah. And one
1: Iranian speculum. (laughs) (laughs) What's our next question, Janina? So we're going to touch on, we're going to look at two questions in one next week because they're kind of related. So we have one from Adam Soros, at Adam Soros on Twitter, who says, inspired by films like The Favourite and Mary Queen of Scots, can I ask which royal figures of history were actually queer slash LGBT? And we have from Luke, who emailed us with a bunch of questions that we're slowly working our way through. Has the gender binary system and heterosexuality always been the norm or did they develop to be perceived in this way over, to- yeah. like, over time? So we're going to basically look at queer history. We
0: are. And basically, we're going to answer the first question and then well, there's no way of answering that without he- answering the second question. So mm. may as well put them together. Please, two people at once. Yeah. Yeah. Where can people get us if they have a question, Janina? You can get us on Twitter at Sexy History Pod. Yeah. Or you can email us at sexyhistorypod at gmail.com. Or you can uh, find us on Facebook
1: at Sexy History Pod. <laughs> Without the E, because Facebook doesn't like sex. Facebook is a massive prude.
0: <laughs> or you can find all the sources and pictures that Roy have used for this and that Janine has used, and also ask us questions. And also, if you like what we do and would buy us a drink if you met us in the street, you can send <laughs> us three quid at our coffee page, which you can get to by going to
1: bit.ly slash support sexyhistory. Mm-hmm. Or it's coffee slash... His pod. His pod. His pod. Mm, which is ironic because we are not hises.
0: No. Or you can find me on the Twitter machine at, at Teeth.
1: And I am at j 9 and F,
0: And Oliver, who will edit out all the times that I go, uh,
1: in this, uh... <laughs> you know, is- a nice little behind-the-scenes tidbit, the, the one time or two times that I've had a look at that I've had to edit it, and when I say edit it, I mean hack it into some sort of shape because <laughs> I don't know what I'm doing. Um, I did discover that you have, like, on the waveform, you have very specific ums. <laughs> There were like three types and that oh, was it. There you go.
0: Mm-hmm. I bet Oliver knows them like he knows the back of his own hand <laughs> <by now. laughs> So But you can find him and ask him about specific um's at that keyword. That's all the places, isn't it? I think that's all the places. Tell your friends you like us. We like yeah. that. Yeah, we, it we do. It makes us happy. It does. I tell strangers. I don't Just know. walk up
1: to people on the street yeah just accost them and tell them that history is sexy don't do that it's very scary when people accost you in the street don't
0: that's true don't they'll ring the police we don't want our name associated with yours Yeah,
1: but do like chat to people in your lives as an excuse to tell them about this podcast
0: yeah strike up a conversation with people you already know anyway we've gone down a rabbit hole now we have that's the
1: end of the episode we're done now okay bye Janina bye Bye. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, um
0: um 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 uh um uh um 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 um